0: Hello and welcome to Things Musicians Don't Talk About, with your hosts Hattie Butterworth and me, Rebecca Toll. Within our vibrant musical world, it can often feel that the struggles and humanity of musicians is lost and restricted. Having both suffered in silence with
1: mental, physical and emotional issues, we are now looking for a way to voice musicians' stories, discuss them further and to connect with the many others who suffer like we have. No topic will be out of bounds
0: as we are committed to raising awareness for all varieties of struggle.
1: So join me, Hattie, and guests as we attempt to bring an end to stigma by uncovering the things musicians don't talk about.
0: Hello and welcome to Things Musicians Don't Talk About, coming to you this week with an awesome episode with the wonderful violinist, Cleanna Ryan, who is a violinist in the Irish Chamber Orchestra and is just the most fantastic person. She also runs the podcast Bittersweet Symphony, which hold in your mind and make sure that you go and check it out after this episode because it's just so so great it's basically reflections on the pandemic with other musicians um, and just asking questions about that time it's very beautiful very vulnerable and it's just such an important witness to that point in our lives and the difficulties that people experience and also what they learned through that time. Um, So in this episode we are thrilled to be talking to Cleana about her experiences as a freelancer as well as moving on to talking about more difficult elements to Cleana's life such as her experience with panic disorder which is one of the most debilitating and terrifying disorders possible Um, and we also talk about an accident she went through last year and how this has impacted her playing and mental health Um, but she's just a most wonderful life-giving person and I've been thinking about this episode an awful lot and especially today actually when I had to advocate for my mental health in a a work setting and I was thinking about Kleena and yeah her bravery to communicate her struggle Anyway, we are thrilled to share this episode with you and thank Kalina from the bottom of our hearts for sharing her beautiful journey with us. And please go and check out Bittersweet Symphony on all podcast platforms and also on social media after this episode. Kalina, it's so lovely to have you today. How are you doing?
2: I'm doing good thank you very much um but getting used to playing again and working again and it's exhausting well Well, it's I'm I'm juggling now and juggling more than ever before so I'm having to get accomplished at that all over again as well
0: that's exactly what Rebecca said before you joined us. She was like, I'm doing too much. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how to stop. <laughs> yeah.
1: Because there's always that point where you got to like, because you take on too much because you're like, well, I need to take on this whatever. Mm-hmm. And then there's always a point where you have to let somebody down. And you know it's coming because you know you've taken mm-hmm. on too much. And it sucks. I hate it. I hate it. I hate yeah. it. Yeah. But yeah, we first came across you because of your awesome podcast bittersweet symphony but just for our listeners who may or may not know you do you want to just give a brief overview of you your life and then obviously we'll delve deeper into it but just bring us up to speed on who you are and how you got there
2: sure i come from um the border between the north and south of ireland so at the time um when i was growing up Yeah, it was like interesting times, let's just say that much. And I began playing music um, probably when I was about five or something like that. And, uh, And it was always something really important to me, I think as a young person in order to kind of, I think I used to, I remember often feeling like overwhelmed with the world um, with how incredible it was, with how beautiful it was. And music really helped me find a place for those thoughts and those feelings. And also, I absolutely loved literature and poetry always from when I was very, very young and art and theatre. Um, I I also loved school and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, um, I went to London when I was um 18 to study and I ended up staying there for 18 years I did a couple of years in America I went I went to the Royal Academy in Guildhall and I did a couple of years in the States as well kind of in the middle of my time at the Academy and um my life in London I loved it but it felt like it felt like I was in a long-term relationship and I was really slowly kind of having longer periods of questioning like why I was in this relationship. I felt like full of, like life was full of like promise and hope, but I started wondering, was it a false promise? And I, all I, you know, scheduling coffee with friends that also had really busy musicians' lives. You know, it would take six weeks to arrange to meet someone just for a coffee just like this simplest thing, you know. And I wondered what would happen if all the time I spent just surviving um, could be wasted on just lolling about the place or doing creative things or whatever. And I did a few long residencies supported by the Arts Council of Ireland in Banff in 2000 Seven and two thousand eight, I was there for full kind of winter residencies from January till April, and it really kind of solidified that idea that possibly London wasn't the place for me anymore to try something different. Um, I mean, my musical life was really busy, and really satisfying, and really rewarding. Um I was a member of the Irish Chamber Orchestra, so I was traveling back to Ireland for amazing projects with incredible artistic directors, and the work always felt different and challenging, and interesting and exciting. And then I was freelancing, you know, in the various orchestras in London, you know, Newcastle, you know, the the usual. Schlepping about the place and doing contemporary music as well quite a lot, which I really love because it's a different relationship with your instrument and it's a uh, very exploratory and creative I find and challenging also mentally and yeah I mean I was very sad I had a very busy string trio for many years as well, so we were you know um had a busy um performing schedule with that too um but it was just all the other stuff, you know, the being a person stuff. I didn't feel connected with the environment or nature anymore. And those moments of magic and flow and spontaneity that can happen in your life that are so beautiful. There wasn't much space for them. And then also, my, there was very little diversity of people in my life, you know. I thought about the people I knew from my little village and like there was more diversity in that group than there was in my life as a musician. Everyone was kind of around my age. Everyone had a similar kind of educational background. 99.99% of people were white middle class, you know? And, uh, and I wondered, I was asking myself questions about what that meant for me as a person and my experience and my relationship with the wider world, you know? So I left, <laughs> I moved, I left London. I moved, I did move to Dublin, uh, but it didn't, it didn't feel like I was moving home kind of thing. It was just like, well, uh, this is where I'll go. You know, it wasn't like, I want to move home to Ireland or anything like that. It was just, I don't want to live in London anymore. And, uh, And I had had this idea for a music salon for a good few years, and I never, ever would have been able to start it in London. I moved back to Ireland. We were in the middle of, like, the most awful recession. And and I was like, okay, maybe I can make this happen here. You know, um, I can create this beautiful experience and present classical music as... Because when I say classical music, for me, that means everything from... Baroque to experimental, contemporary, everything. Like, I I think that's a really broad term and I kind of wanted to reclaim it. Um, And I wanted to create intimate kind of visceral experiences for performers and audiences and break down boundaries and have beautiful, welcoming, convivial, open-hearted spaces. So I asked my friend uh, to um, who I used to um, play music with a lot to um, like if she'd be on board to do this thing with me. And so we started Kaleidoscope then in 2008 and it was a lovely way to come back to Ireland. And I discovered an incredible community of musicians and it very quickly became something that didn't belong to kate and i anymore but belonged to our community and dublin and then the country um and yeah since then i suppose and since i've been living here there just feels like there's a breath and a kind of a space in my life for exploring lots of different things um
0: yeah and obviously a big part of of what you created eventually with the bittersweet symphony is to do with you know finding this space and i suppose respecting musicians as humans and as complex people but in that time since moving from london back to ireland to find i don't know this sense of like space and time and just like lolling around as you feel like i love that you say that because it's so true Mm -hmm. in london there's so little time just to like loll around you know be creative (laughs) yeah um did you find it was more difficult to do that than you expected you did you find you were still very busy
2: it's it's what are you busy doing you know i guess i would ask when you ask me that question that's that's a question that pops up for me because busy Busy for yourself, for for creating something or for doing a class that you really want to do. Busy doing that feels different to busy schlepping about the place to pay your rent, right? Yeah, I don't know. Definitely, really busy. Like Kaleidoscope was, you know, when we started it, we had no clue what we were doing, and it was literally seven days a week for hours every day and huge amounts of time spent on arts council applications and you know programming curating and creating creative partnerships between different people and but it was so exciting and so much fun and it was for us you know and it was for audiences and it was for our friends and our colleagues and so that felt different to busy going to do a muddy field and you're just like going i hate my life what am i doing you know
1: and i'm getting like 20 quid for it
2: oh god and you end up dumped on a motorway somewhere on like near ikea and you have to try and figure out how to get home and like it's always near i don't know (laughs) (laughs) i mean like it's but i think it's like i definitely was really 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 busy um and actually that kind of you know with the whole pandemic that really like having that not busyness was just amazing and i think it's something that i've learned how to do that i hope i won't unlearn i do think like we're probably conditioned to always try to be productive from really busy lives schooling and then fitting in practicing and doing competitions and audition like all of that like there's always something to be done right and I, everybody seems to take a lot of pride in being
1: so busy but yeah not the kind of busy for yourself busy like i've got so many gigs or oh, I'm fitting in all my teaching like as soon as you say I don't know, I spent all day yesterday planning this thing for me or taking mm. this class, people are like, oh, that's so nice that you have the time to do that. And it's like, no, it. this is, I'm still busy, but doing the right kind of busy for me. And yeah, it, it's really interesting that you kind of recognise that difference in, you can still be busy, but doing things that are for you, like you said.
2: yeah. Like, for me, in a way, like, when I was thinking about doing the podcast, I said to myself, do you know what? Like, well, I didn't know if I'd enjoy doing it for starters. You know, I had to, like, find out if I'd enjoy the whole process, like, beginning to end. And it, it ended up that I absolutely loved all of it, every last bit of it, mm, except maybe the social media side of it. <sighs> <laughs> um, but um sometimes i really love that as well and sometimes it's like oh uh,
0: but, it feels a bit overwhelming never it
2: never yeah. yeah i mean for me it's a kind of an ex- it can be a real extension of the storytelling and i absolutely love that side of it um but sometimes it can feel like oh god i have to do this thing yeah. um but i said to myself you know and and like creating the the podcast I was incredibly busy but it was a hobby I mean Mm. I said to myself I've never had I've never really invested serious time in a hobby this is like this is something I really love and I'm learning so many new skills and like I'm having a great time doing it so don't like you know to try and remind myself of that sometimes if I'm feeling like if I start using language to myself that's like I have to do this and I have to do that it's like no you don't have to do anything you don't have to do anything this is your life you're making the decisions you're mm. in control here and to stop like if I start using language like that with myself I try to catch it because it, there's it'll just suck the joy out of everything Mm, you know yeah to recognize that I have choices that I have autonomy and I'm doing this because I adore it and because I love it and it's my choice you know that's Mm. so empowering
1: and I think a lot of people see taking on extra projects or like yeah doing hobbies I don't know I feel like a lot of musicians and creatives try and turn that into another like string to their bow they're like oh that's so great that you're doing the podcast like where are you going to go with it and it's like But it's my hobby, like, essentially, like, it would be great. Well, maybe that's a bad example, because we are kind of working on it. But yeah, so many hobbies, people are like, oh, great. What are you going to do with that? Like, you're going to incorporate it with your music. And it's like, no, it's a hobby. Like, it's not work. Leave me alone. you be bad at it if I'm
0: bad at it.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Like, and so, so many people have said, you know, I've got another kind of six conversations of the podcast to put out. And I just do, like, a schedule of every two weeks. Um for me that works because just that structure is supportive for me um i know you guys don't do a schedule right it's a bit random yeah yeah and that works for you and for me like having that schedule yeah. is it's a rhythm you know that rhythm kind of helps me um and then so many people are like and then and then what and i'm like well i don't know i mean yeah. you know again you need that lolling about time right i mean i'll that the ending of this season if it is one season and if there'll be another i don't know uh that'll be in 12 weeks and then i don't know i don't know what i'll be thinking or feeling in 12 Mm. weeks and maybe i'll want to just do something completely different for a few months and then if something if there's a seed like you need space do you need to like one of my interview guests actually katrina frost and it's like one of my favorite interviews she said you know you have to scatter seeds like just scatter seeds and see what grows but you have to do that bit of gardening don't you like you know because otherwise and waiting and waiting and nurturing and that comes with things under the surface yeah yeah that people don't
0: necessarily see or that isn't performative yeah you know but it's still doing things towards whatever but I, I just love how you know when we spoke last week you talked about how this podcast was, you didn't even know if it was going to be a podcast. No. Yeah. I, I just think, wow, that, that is so free. Like to have these conversations just because you wanted the conversations. And yeah. I, would love you to talk to us about what were the conversations you needed to have with people, you know, what was this pull towards talking up in, in the recovery of the pandemic?
2: Well, I mean, for me, like language and communication and talking always have been really, really important and really powerful. Um, I think telling our stories, speaking our truth, well, I mean, I guess I would say telling my story, speaking my truth has always been very impactful for me and important. And, um, I, I mean, I've had therapy for many years. Um, I, yeah, yeah, <laughs> Rebecca's, Rebecca's. box therapy. <laughs> yeah. The, uh. the impact of like talking and communicating, but also the power of listening and a holding space, it connects us as humans, I think with ourselves and with each other and 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 you know authenticity authentic you know courageous communication can can be really impactful and um i think can have the power to change a culture and i guess there was a i mean i was very isolated during the pandemic um and from someone who's i guess the years leading up to March 2020 my whole life was my work really I mean I was playing performing all the time and I took it really seriously always prepared always practiced and from that and that sense of I think I also love the feeling of belonging and community that my work gives me and um from being so uh, because also like my my freelance work here in Ireland I feel very much like um like a part of those orchestras um you know which is really lovely I don't feel you know I never take that for granted but I feel very much like I'm a you know I might I'm 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 a second cousin, I'm a first cousin, maybe even, you know, I'm a part of the family, which is really lovely. And, you know, the time over the last few years, like those relationships have stood the test of time. And those orchestras have been there for me, as well as my own family of ICO, um, which is really lovely. And I don't think that would be the case in every um, country. I don't know, but it is the case here, which is amazing. I was just so in my own experience. I had a really, really difficult time um, with huge uh, panic that just came from nowhere that completely bit me on the ass. And I had no idea what was happening to me. And it was really, really, really hard and uh, like recovery from that. And I see it as recovery because I think when you've had an experience of panic disorder. It's so traumatizing that uh, it kind of imprints itself upon you uh, biologically, um, mentally, emotionally, and, Mm. uh, and it wasn't a linear recovery from that. So I would think I was okay and I'd have a few months okay and next thing I'm having to get taken off the edge of the motorway by police because I'm throwing up and nearly blacking out you know um and at the same time I was experiencing like huge freedom and re- I mean it was a such a paradoxical experience like it was heaven and hell at once I couldn't make any sense of it really and because I was exploring like my you know we had a long long time in ireland where you could only be within two kilometers of your home and then five kilometers of your home we had the longest lockdown in europe here and i live alone and so like getting uh amazing neighborhood connections friendships communities um you know street cocktails sundowners um picking wild garlic along the canal i'm so lucky that i live really close to one of the main canals that runs through dublin but also the river liffey so i had these like water connections really close by Mm. me and then phoenix park which is like acres and kilometers of like incredible parkland they were all within my two kilometers so as i was experiencing this huge freedom i was having um i won arts council awards to do like study baroque violin with rachel podger I was having this incredible mentorship and exploration. I was doing a postgrad in Trinity College, Dublin, on <laughs> um, creativity, innovation, and entrepreneurship, and having an wow. amazing time doing that. Like that was an intense year of academic study. And at the same time, there was this absolute nightmare thing going on as well. I mean, I've always loved radio. I mean, I've loved language, I've loved words. I spoke to you about poetry and theater. And like, I learned to read before I went to school. And I think language and words were even music before I even knew what music was, you know, for me. They had texture Mm. and, I mean, poetry is always where I go when I don't understand how I feel, you know. Um, It's a huge solace to me. And then I fell in love with radio. I was always in love with radio and, like i was addicted to podcasts before there was even a podcast app and because i connected with radio when i was living in america and when i moved back to the uk from america um like i was i i used to be addicted to this american life it started the year i went to dallas and then i discovered that i was able to podcast it and so I had always thought about doing it, but like, you never want to say it out loud, guys, do you? No, like, everyone's like, you oh you sound great. like a dick. <laughs> yeah, you're like, you want to talk about yourself more? <laughs> you want to make a podcast? Like who isn't making a podcast, you know? I, yeah. So I had the thought there and I remember the first time saying it to a friend. We were walking in Phoenix Park and I remember saying it out loud. And I knew once I said it out loud, that i couldn't take it back so i was almost like choking on it like i knew i wanted to, but i had to see what it felt like to just put it out there into the world
1: even if you can't take it back <laughs> yeah
2: and then i remember like um i remember the first time asking someone it was like in a rehearsal break it, we were it was with the chamber orchestra. And I remember going up and kind of going, I'm thinking of, you know, and I don't know what it is, but would you be open to talk? And, and I had the idea of bittersweet symphony and cause I kind of like that structure gives some shape and it can make, it can hold people, you know, and I do think memory and recollecting is really significant. And, uh, that's the person that's been in therapy a lot um speaking i guess um i think like forgetting is as much a dismantling of something as remembering is a storing of something so i think uh it's an important process and with our freelance lives we can be so slippy right with like our our experience can feel like it's always slipping away from us um like we can't hold on to it like the only time i would connect with what i had done in my life would be when i'm doing my tax return (laughs) and then i'm like oh right oh from your failures to your achievements to the things you can be proud of the moments that meant a lot you know they all kind of come become one mush as you're just living in your diary and one gig to the next and it's just the music that you're playing is the messiah is it christmas carols is it whatever that you even (laughs) You know, connect with what's going on. Uh, so there was a part of me that wanted to really, to answer your question in a very long, long way, there's a part of me that really wanted to connect with my community. I was having such an extreme experience and I wondered what are other people like what are other people going through like what are we going through we don't have a place to gather and talk and share and we so often just bring our professional selves to work you know leave your emotions at the door game face show business invincible you know eternally grateful um no ambivalence ever only positivity no pain no injury no fear all of that kind of stuff you know um I thought what would happen if I just had a created a holding space for a connection and I didn't know if anyone would be really open I had no clue and I thought I still have the thing that I sent to people I asked 16 people in the end well I asked more people but like a lot of you know not a lot of people but some people said no because they weren't comfortable with it and everyone that I asked I said please like I told them all the reasons why they shouldn't talk to me as well <laughs> because I did really want like an honest exchange and mm-hmm. an open exchange as much as people felt comfortable with That's and very brave, um, though. Like,
1: yeah so brave I, I was I that. was
2: well I was really um I was so moved. Like, Mm. I remember, you know, after the first few conversations, just kind of like being like, oh my God. Like, people are being really, like, these people that I've known for years, that I've worked with for years, they're completely opening themselves up. Yeah. And being so, like, brave and honest and vulnerable and choosing to use the space in that way. And I just, you know, I just thought it was incredible. I I was, I found it so moving, so moving. Um, How did you,
1: um, because I find, well, yeah, I'd be interested to hear about your experience of holding the space for so many people that are opening up and being vulnerable. How did that leave you feeling afterwards or? Mm
0: yeah how was um, it in terms of your own sort of self-care or
2: yeah um well I guess I was in therapy at the no was I in therapy oh god I wasn't <laughs>
1: <laughs> I always no, have this <laughs>
2: my therapy finished because I, w- I had a year with the community mental health like after the whole panic disorder thing started um until June 2021 Mm -hmm. but I had done I actually did um I did a really good coaching training um so I was still connecting I made a really really good friend actually we were on a zoom last night people still zoom for hours me and Hannah (laughs) zoom for hours and we were saying like we've never actually (laughs) met each other we've never met each other but we're such amazing friends um so we were talking a lot while i was having these conversations and then yeah i was i guess i was um you know getting support from friends and family um Mm. but also like i found so i found i got such comfort and solace actually from the conversations and from the openness like we all do i think when we hear another person's experience another human being's experience it's it's so comforting and because it creates yeah that sense of connection and that identification um there's things that you recognize about your own experience and what people are sharing and that's comforting um so it really it felt very soft in me you know it felt very soft and gentle and loving and it felt like a real privilege yeah so it didn't feel like I was carrying anything really Mm. I mean after the
0: weight of suffering from a a panic
2: disorder in a
0: time of isolation
2: yeah
0: you know I mean I don't know about you but I, I feel like sometimes talking to other people openly I think what you're trying to say is is like like I don't know your experience it can be so dark that actually hearing someone else's experience brings a lightness to your yeah. home yeah
2: yeah no it definitely illuminated and I, I guess to add to what was happening for me at the time yeah I had so I recorded all the conversations in August and September 2021 and Didn't make any decisions about what I was doing with those conversations until they were all done. And I took a break of about two weeks and had to think about it. And then I was like, okay, well, can I edit? What's editing? No clue. Um, (laughs) YouTube. But after the first conversation, I was cycling home one evening and I got knocked down by a car. And... Um, my left hand, I was like the car completely went like it, if I had been going any faster, it literally would have mowed me down and I probably wouldn't have survived. My left hand was trapped, was like under the handlebar of my, um, bike. And I mean, I got bruised and scratched and scraped all down my right side. And I had like a whiplash injury for a couple of months but um, my left hand uh, completely was buggered. Uh, one finger was broken, but then all the other joints and fingers completely, you know, got massively swollen. So like my thumb was hugely swollen, my first finger, every finger except my little finger, which is my most useless finger, <laughs> and always has been, and usually <laughs> is for string players. It's the one we hate. um so I basically and I you know I had to go to the police and all this kind of stuff and um and then you know consultants and hand physios and until the end of November when I saw a hand specialist that works with musicians called Mark Phillips in London oh I saw him Mark Phillips he's great (laughs) oh my god and he gave me hope but until i connected with mark at the end of november so it was august september october november three months i basically either couldn't or was told not to use my left hand at all so i couldn't use it at all for about two months because it was so swollen and i didn't have like a pinching motion um and And the finger was like gross, but all the other fingers were also completely swollen, except the little guy. And um, I couldn't tie my shoelaces. I couldn't, you know, change my bed sheets. I mean, it was absolutely awful. Like, and I couldn't, I had to buy lots of devices to open my, you know, to open jars to, move, you know. I had to buy all these kind of disability devices from these like websites that had people that were in their eighties in their images. Like, oh, and and I didn't know if I'd ever be able to play the violin again. And every time ICO played in Dublin, like the first performances back for people in Ireland were in September, 2021. We weren't allowed play to audiences until September, 2021. And I remember going to that concert and like from the, when the orchestra walked out on stage until they left the stage at the end, I was in pieces crying because I didn't know if I'd ever make sound again, if I'd ever be that, you know, when you become like, when you're not even yourself anymore, you don't know what your name is. You don't know who you are. You are no, you are nothing. You're, you have no ego. You are just sound harmony, Melody, rhythm, phrase, texture, you know, I didn't know if I'd ever feel that again. And at this time, I was having these conversations and then creating and editing. And it was, it was like, because that was very, very dark and incredibly difficult and incredibly hopeless for many months. Mm. And again, I was completely isolated because we were in lockdowns here. And so this connection with my community and with these people that I were like, every conversation I'd have, I'd be like, there's so much beauty and humanity and vulnerability in these people. And I never took the time to have those conversations and make those connections in my real life. And that I, you know, in like real life before COVID life.
0: And I Mm. said to myself,
2: this was right in front of you what's like how have you been living that you haven't allowed time for this
1: like you know would you have released the episodes if you hadn't have had your accident
2: I think I possibly would have felt compelled yeah to like that it was again that thing of it not being necessarily mine but like being um a custodian of some sort Mm -hmm. a repository like um a custodian of this repository of uh, human experience you know everyone that spoke to me wanted to tell their story um and so I think yeah I think I would have but I think I don't know how I would have and if it would have looked different Mm -hmm. you know I don't know what that would have looked like but I think yeah because i think after a few conversations it felt like and do you know what like this is nothing to do with me yeah this is nothing to do with me this is about our community this is about also connecting with the people that come and watch us you know like Mm. i said in, in one of those pieces of writings you know um we go out in and out a different door to the people that come in the front they don't see the you know our lives people eating out of tupperware um you know teaching between the rehearsal and the concert running home to put kids to bed i don't know they they don't they don't see that you know and so i wanted to tell them that as well yeah do
0: you have an idea of maybe what you'll i mean I, I can't i'm feeling so emotional listening to you because. It's just <laughs> like, <laughs> what what was going through your head about maybe if the violin wasn't possible again what would you have turned to? Or was communication maybe the thing that you, that you thought, right, I can really do this because I'm so in- passionate about it? Do
2: you know, I think what, was, what I really was surprised to find within myself was some kind of trust. Um, I don't think I would have necessarily felt that I I really feel, and it's interesting because I've literally just gone back to work three weeks ago since August. So I was not working for eight months with this injury. And now I have arthritis in my hand permanently in those joints. Which is fine, actually, it turns out, because if you talk about that, it turns out other people tell you about all their arthritic bits and bobs that they have that they've never talked about before. You know, some people did say to me, don't tell anybody, don't tell anybody that you have arthritis. Don't tell anybody that you've had this injury. Wow. Because it'll affect how people see you. It'll affect how people judge your ability as a violinist, you know, but it turns out when you name it when you say it then other people go oh yeah this joint and that and this arthritis and look at this wobbly this crookedy bit and this bit falling off I guess I was worried financially of course but I had I think I had a kind of a trust and a faith that everything would be okay and I didn't know what that meant but I kind of knew it somehow Mm. Whether that meant not play, I think that the thought of not being, like not experiencing that sound thing, because for me, resonance, harmony, like when you create a perfectly in tune kind of chord or the energy, like the, the energy of like a rhythm, a bass line, like to not be in that again, that was pretty heartbreaking to think about but I so enjoyed creating the podcast and I learned so many skills. And then, you know, I was having to, I was having to take so many risks. I mean, you guys, I'm sure know this, like you're having to put yourself out there the whole time and get comfort, get comfortable with such extreme discomfort, Mm -hmm. get comfortable with just that. Yeah. I've got my imposter syndrome coat on today. (laughs) that's fine you know this is a familiar coach. it's not going to stop me you know Mm -hmm. to kind of walk alongside all that discomfort that fear that imposter syndrome stuff and all that risk that you take when you create something you put it out there and you don't even do it for a job like who are you to do it you didn't go to college for it you don't get paid for it you know who do you think you are
0: anyone for it yeah
2: and you don't know if it's going to affect like even though it's nothing
1: to do with your job you don't know if it's going to affect your job like yeah, I often yeah. have that where I'm like, are people going to hear this and be like, oh, we shouldn't hire her. And then I'm like, yes. I'd rather just keep doing this and yeah. not get that work. Yeah. But easier said than felt.
2: <laughs> so I think like I had got used to that. I think as, as performers, as musicians, and, you know, we're schooled from such a young age, you know, you get so used to doing, you only do something if you're, if you know you're really good at it or, you know, to do something for... The enjoyment of the process as opposed to the outcome is something that we we don't get you know because we don't have time for hobbies and learning and stuff you know we don't have time to go to that pottery class and discover that we're shit at it but we love kind of exploring clay you know we're just doing this one thing that we're excellent at you know that we dedicate our lives to and that we spend hours and hours and hours and hours and hours, and hours every doing every day from when we're children um that we get, we can be very um, cautious about taking those kind of risks. I've found that in myself, you know, um, and this was a really good exercise for me. And I think it taught me that, you know, what I'm going to be okay. I I don't know how, I don't know why, but I can, I can just put myself in places where, you know, what I'll learn. If I'm not good enough, if I can't do it, that's okay as well. Like, so what? Find out, discover, explore, you know, and I I learned to do all of that. Um, and I think that in itself is a skill, right? Getting comfortable with the discomfort. Were there any similarities
1: between when you started out as a freelancer? Did, did you have that kind of hope and trust that your career would or was this a completely new kind of trust
2: <laughs> oh it's completely new it was trust in myself as a person mm-hmm. i think i never even trusted myself as a musician mm-hmm. you know despite you know winning you know competitions you know i remember my trio getting a glowing review in the strad for like a queen qeh like thing and again it was that slippery connection every achievement every everything just kind of vanished and and it always felt like i was starting from zero am i good enough uh you know how am i meant to be in this context how do you want me to be how do you need me to be in a culture that wasn't mine as well you know there's there's a lot of cultural differences between you know the uk and ireland well between england and ireland particularly i think and trying to navigate that and figure that out um all the unspoken stuff um but you had a trust
1: in your body somehow that it would pull you through or was it trust in the music
2: i felt very let down by my body actually Mm. Uh, i felt very angry with it for a while and that was difficult um like I, I was very, very angry for, for a good few months at my body. It was a trust in myself in, in that, that I'd be okay. Not, mm. not necessarily music. Cause I didn't know if I'd ever be able to have anything to do with music again. But I was like, do you know what? Mm. You're going to be all right. You've got this, like you're, you know, and I knew that I had loving friendships mm. and loving family as well. I wasn't alone. I wasn't alone. I I had to be, you know, I would allow myself to be carried as well, that I didn't have to do it alone, that I didn't have to, that I could lean on people, that I could let the people that love me care for me, you know? And I think that's not so easy to do either, always.
1: I read a quote, well, I was reading a book yesterday and it was saying how, uh, I can't remember exactly, but it was by Rebecca Solnit and she said that, um, asking for help is a generous act because it allows others to help you yeah and it doesn't negate the fact that it's hard to do but I think the Mm. generosity goes both ways
2: yeah it's so true and I it was something I didn't do I don't think before the pandemic Mm. and it was I mean probably a defense mechanism um because when you allow people help when you ask for help there's a there is vulnerability in that, you know. You're saying I need you help me, and people could just go, uh, no, you know. But then you're allowing people to connect to you and hold you, I hold you up, and we all know how good that feels, you know. Mm-hmm. And so it, I totally, totally that that quote really chimes with me. Did mm-hmm. it chime with you as well when you heard it? What did it mean? Yeah, for you? I was like, oh my gosh, because yeah. It... <laughs> I guess because I've always been
1: a people pleaser and actually Mm. part of that has been like not allowing people to help me because I didn't want to cause them any trouble or I wanted to help them and I Mm -hmm. wanted to help them that way. But actually that doesn't end up very well. Mm. So actually I took a lot of solace in actually, yeah, like I know it's okay to ask for help, but it was like, actually this kind of resonates with me of like, I'm allowing people to kind of come into the same space as my vulnerability and Practice, that in itself. Yeah, love. Yeah, that's a yeah. gift in itself.
2: Yeah. And have you practised that? Uh,
1: <laughs> yeah, like now and again, I think I could be better at it for sure. Mm, yeah. Mm. Well, it's
2: a learning, isn't it? It's like anything. You, you We're just learning these things. How yeah. about you, Hattie? Would you? Uh, I think it's harder... For me, but just
0: because to be completely honest, I have had experiences where opening up has backfired, Mm. and not always, and probably not. That's not the rule. It's it's definitely the exception that Mm. someone feels uncomfortable. But it it make you know it definitely stays with you when you get met with sort of why are you telling me this or like yeah, and I think maybe that comes down to me not always sharing with the right people. Mm. or Or at the right time for the right time yeah yeah for me yeah and you know not thinking oh maybe the best place for me right now is therapy to help me through this because nobody else maybe is either qualified properly for it or will, not you know there's a risk they might misunderstand me or something Mm. so I, i i love i love the quote because i do think it gives people power to to feel that opening up doesn't have to be this one way experience it can actually show other people that you that you want to share with them I don't know you want to connect Mm, with them yeah but I I don't know I I keep thinking Kalina about when we spoke on the phone about your experience with anxiety and panic because obviously or maybe not obviously but that's a very very big part of my experience Mm -hmm. of my whole life pretty much since I was like seven or eight I've I've had periods of panic disorder um and you spoke about experiencing it on stage oh god and if you don't mind I just I just feel like (laughs) I'd love you to talk about oh my god because it's so awful because you actually like you you shared like with your orchestra about what was going on and that's something I've never had the courage to do and like when you said that to me, I was like, right, I need to, to hear like how this went.
2: <laughs> I mean, I again, like I do feel I really feel and I've really noticed it since I've gone back to work that I am not the person that I was in March 2020. Like I, I, I have been changed. I have been irrevocably changed by the last couple of years. So while I mightn't have ever had a panic attack just before going on stage, I might know also may not have asked for help that thing of asking for help I might not have trusted to ask for help I might have just I don't know what I would have done um but both those things they're the kind of two sides I suppose of the coin you know um uh but it was it was my very first gig back since the beginning of August and I was in one of my freelancing um roles um, with the RTE Concert Orchestra. And we were doing a concert in the National Concert Hall with um, an incredible pianist, uh, soloist from here called Finian Collins. And it was such a lovely gig. It was absolutely gorgeous. It's, it's a small orchestra, so it's small sections, which I'm very comfortable with. A Mozart overture that I'd played millions of times before um, and a couple of Beethoven piano concertos. Right? Like, you know, absolutely gorgeous amazing uh, great conductor everything wonderful and the first few rehearsal days felt they felt fine they felt comfortable I mean it was amazing to be in that sound again absolutely gorgeous and I loved it and the leader Mia Cooper um said to me on the first day she said you know if you'd be more comfortable because I think I was sitting they were they're still sitting um They've just started sharing stands again, but I think I would have been sitting like um, the third desk back on the outside. So like one, two, three, four, five, number five in firsts, I think. Yeah. So um, she said, if you'd be more comfortable sitting on the inside and I was like, oh, not at all, you know, cause I've always been comfortable front to back side, to, you know, I, you know, wherever put me wherever I could, you know, sit number two or sit, Um, you know, number 12, I'm happy anywhere I am, you know, uh, and each has different challenges and I enjoy that. And so there was fine. Two days rehearsal. Great. It felt lovely to connect with people again. Also, I hadn't been in real life since I launched the podcast. So people were saying things to me because I hadn't had much of that kind of feedback, you know, and it was, that was lovely as well. And next thing, concert, we had done our rehearsal fine. So we were in the concert hall you know uh, obviously the microphones are there you know the streaming cameras are there and you know that changes the nature of you know it's it's something to overcome in your mind anyway but i was grand and i had been in i think what was i doing i was getting something from my car which was at the front of the hall and i started seeing people arrive for the concert and it was a quarter to 8 and the concert began at 8 and i started walking around the back to the stage door and Next thing, whoosh, my whole body, head, like started from my feet and just went whoosh, through my whole body. Um, and uh, anyone that's had anything like a panic disorder knows this feeling because there's no anxiety. There's no warning. It's just zero to a hundred in a second. Suddenly you're there, you know? And so shaking, numb hands, numb feet, tingling, uh, my vision started going. Um, Then I get kind of, um, you know, also kind of, as well as kind of tiny, tiny tunnel vision, like where you're just like looking through tiny little, like as if you put little holes in front of your eyes. Um, I also get kind of like flash, like flashingy things, uh, like a lot of distortion in my, uh, in my sight. And then I get auditory stuff as well with like ringing or things sounding really far away and uh, really sick. Um, and I was, I was just, you know, this all happens in that one second. And, and I was like, Oh my God. Oh my God. What am I going to do? And I, my whole body is shaking. And I'm walking around the stage door and it's like a quarter to eight. And I don't know what I'm going to do. I, it's absolutely awful. I just, like, if someone had just come and like vanished me, I would have been very happy. And I went in and into the, like through the stage door. um, And I opened the dressing room, you know, like, I mean, what are you supposed to do when you're having a panic attack? You know, you're supposed to get grounded. You're supposed to do all the counting. You're supposed to lie down or sit down or be quiet and be, and you're in a really, really busy dressing room just before a concert where everyone is chatting. Everyone is bustling around. Makeup, chats, bathroom, blah, 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 blah. There's nowhere to go. Like, where are you going to go? And you don't have time to get yourself right again. Like, you don't have time. I didn't know what to do. And I saw my friend who knew that I had been in a really, really bad place and knew the extent of how bad things had been for me. And I called her into the corridor and I said, I'm in the beginnings of a really bad panic attack. Can we swap so that I'm on the inside so that if I need to leave the stage, I can? And she was like, No, I'm really sorry. I'd just be too uncomfortable. And she went back in, and I was like, Holy shit. I was like, What am I going to do? I know, I know. So I went to the bathroom. I threw up, um, came out. The leader was there, and the co leader, Brona Cahill, who I've known since I was a child, actually. And I was like, I don't know what to do and I was actually having intrusive thoughts as well um which were really really frightening and and I said was that the first time you'd had those um I had just started having them a few months before but they had been fine for a long time um and I said guys I don't know what to do and Mia just they both looked at me they're like Leona are you okay and um I said I'm having a really bad panic attack and I don't think I can go on stage because for me I was just imagining being trapped like with the cameras with the live broadcast with this packed hall looking at me right by the soloist I was going to be really close to the soloist and what if I started like just that it was absolutely awful and Mia just looked at me and she said Cleona we're here to help you how can we help you And they were just both so understanding. She went, she was like, I said, maybe if I sit right at the back by the stage door. So if I need to leave and they were like, this is completely understandable. This is happening. You've been through such a huge trauma. You haven't played for months. We're going to do everything we can to help and support you. And she went and she asked a lovely guy who was sitting at the back, would he swap with me? She went on stage, she changed our pads and this was at like five to eight. And I went on and I got through it. It was really, really difficult. And I was having intrusive thoughts the whole way through. And I was having full body experience the whole way through. And I didn't, I wasn't right physically until that concert was on a Thursday. And I wasn't right physically until the Sunday. Uh, Cause I had that hangover thing that you get after mm-hmm. bad panic attacks with headaches and aches and nausea and everything but since then I've done I did um a concert that weekend the 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 following week uh, with like tv cameras and everything and that was fine and then I was back in the concert hall and I was co-leading second violins and symphony orchestra with a sold out messiah performance and I got through the whole thing and I really enjoyed it (gasps) oh guys like I'm back I'm back Every gig I've done since, like, I've been able to enjoy my instrument. I was right by um, Martin, his principal cello, and he was playing, you know, the continuo part. So I was able to connect right into the bass line, which always really calms my body and grounds me, you know. And I just had a brilliant time sharing the experience, asking for help allowing myself to be helped. But then also the fact that the next gig I did with them, they Mm. still put me close to the front. You know, they still trusted me. They didn't kind of go, okay, well, what do we do now with this one? You know, they were like, you're going to be fine. We know you're going to be okay. If you're not okay, ask us for help. But like, you know, because I was thinking I'm going to have to quit performing. But Mm. they trusted me. And they saw it as a process. They said this happens once, maybe it'll happen again, maybe it won't, you know?
1: But it's things like your podcast and you talking about it and raising awareness that helps the The inconsistency of it is what is what really struggles when there's no awareness. It's that people, mm-hmm. they're not trusting you or um, we've talked about this quite a lot, Hattie and I, but like people assuming your limits without you telling them or or, but but yeah it takes them to create an atmosphere of you can ask us for help if you need help or if and when you need help Um, and it won't be every time and we trust that you'll ask us that is such a huge thing
2: yeah yeah and even like i mean i have to admit that like talking about it here that feels difficult for me Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. talking about it with you guys so publicly and part of my conditioning is going. But what if people think you now can't do like, you know, because I've got some big chamber music gigs coming up. I know I'll be fine. I know I'll be fine. I have so many skills. I mean, like anyone that's had these kind of experiences, you are given such an array of tools and skills and it's a massive education as well. Um, And I know I'll be fine. But there is part of me that is going, be quiet. What are you doing? What are Mm. you doing? You know, I have to acknowledge that because it wouldn't be truthful for me if I didn't acknowledge that that there is part of me that feels frightened at sharing this with you in this moment. Thank you. Thank you so much. Because I don't think
0: we've had someone share like an actual on stage experience of panic. Mm. And it's real, it happens. Like it's happened it's happened to me and and, And me. (laughs) Yeah, like but it's like, what do you do? And I've, I, I don't know. I, I, I just, I can't tell you how much I just know that, that you, that you opening up is, is just gonna. It's helped me so much just to like, know that it, that it really doesn't discriminate on who you are, how successful you are, like,
1: and that you went to like the leaders help you. That's what I would always be yeah. worried of. Is like going to the, the. I would want to, like, maybe tell the people like either side of me, maybe. But apart from that, like, I wouldn't. But yeah, knowing that they helped you, is just like.
2: But guys, yes. the con- like the conversations in the dressing room that yeah. happened because of that, you know, because also, like, I was aware that the whole orchestra saw that, like, in the rehearsals and everything, I was sitting close to the front and the outside. Suddenly I'm there at the back. What am I doing there? What am- why am I there? Like the whole orchestra see that, know that. What, what's happened, you know? And the conversations that were had in the dressing room and the sharing that people from front to back did about their own experiences and how they had overcome them, you know, through psychological work, through, you know, different medications at different points, there was, there were conversations that, ha- that were had because of what happened, you know? Mm. It, it is interesting why we don't talk about it, but I, you know, but I, I know why, because I can hear that voice in my head right now, mm. you know? You know, but, and I mean, um, I still get it. Every time I post anything, release any
0: episodes mm. with the amounts of truth. Yeah. <laughs> to be honest. I it's,
1: think because it's, it's not just a voice, it's not just a voice in your head, like, we've all heard somebody say something similar to that, mm. of being like, oh, you shouldn't,
2: share oh, yeah. this or you should oh yeah
1: and I think um usually yeah. I think in music education and I feel as much as these conversations are happening in work spaces I never heard any ounce of it in educa- and I know it's hard and I know mm. it's a whole minefield but I just yeah that voice isn't just in our heads which is yeah
2: but like from from being so angry with my body and And, and with a panic attack as well, you can feel very, um, yeah, yeah. Betrayed by your brain. Completely, completely and powerless. Also, you can feel quite powerless at times. Then at the same time, when all this stuff was happening for me on stage, all my training was working. You know, it's amazing. I didn't even have a bow shake. Like (laughs) what? You know, I was able. Like, I don't know how, but it was everything worked. Like, I don't think I. I mean, I, I don't think I played a wrong note. Do you know, I think it was absolutely grand. But it was. But what was awful was what was happening oh, yeah. for me, and the impact on my body for the days afterwards, like the toll that it took, and how ill it made me for like those few days afterwards. But I was completely able to perform, and that you know that's training that's discipline and that's you know that kind of said okay you can trust this skill that whatever's happening you can still this this will make it happen you might be going completely you know uh, you know thinking the most difficult things but that's true we often kind of worry
1: about our brain and our body kind of disconnecting, but actually in some yeah. circumstances, it's pretty good.
2: <laughs> I know, oh I know. Yeah, Bonnie, you going ahead. I know, the next gig I had, I actually brought my coloring with me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. Yes. I, I have this, because um, I find it very calming and uh, and it makes it brings me completely into the present. So I actually, even though this was like out in the west of Ireland, you know, I actually in my suitcase put like a few colouring books and um like different oh, different colour markers and stuff like that. And I brought them to the rehearsal and sound check and stuff. And like between the gig like the rehearsal and the gig, I just sat there colouring like that. That's incredible. And <laughs> looked, you know, yeah, like I thought, Why you know, not? just just mind yourself like why would this you know just mind yourself the way that you do that you have been minding yourself you know so but yeah that's
0: amazing I mean I would love sort of to finish if you could tell us a bit more about how people can follow your podcast you know any kind of upcoming episodes to listen out for um or anything else you'd like to to finish sharing
2: um well i um let me see well the podcast bitter street symphony is (laughs) is on all the usual spots um you know yeah all the usual podcast platforms i think i hope yes it is yes it is and then i What I love doing actually is, well, I say I don't love it 100% of the time, but 99% of the time, I do love doing it. That all the people that I have on the podcast share loads of photographs with me. I get them to go back through their phones, back through 2020 and 2021, and share a lot of the photos and experiences that they talk about in the episodes. Um, Mm -hmm. So then I share those on social media. So it might be associated with their bitter, their sweet and their bittersweet memory, because that's something we talk about. But there's also like general kind of experiences that they've had, uh, the way their lives were, things that they enjoyed, all that kind of stuff, what matters to them in their life and what what they think you know, what they're taking away and how they want to live going forward. Um, So I share all of that on my own Instagram, which is ryan.cleana. And my first name is spelt C-L-I-O-D-H-N-A. It's an Irish name. Uh, So that's ryan.cleana on Instagram. And then I have a Facebook page called Bittersweet Symphony Podcast. And then I, I have my own Facebook, which is my own name. And then I have Twitter as well, which is Clean a Violin. Um, I actually remember, like, Googling the first week that the podcast was coming out. I actually Googled, how does Twitter work? <laughs> <laughs> I still that's, don't know. That's in about. my search history. How does Twitter work? I
1: love that. I mean, I don't know. <laughs>
2: it's so I, weird. I still think I don't it's know. so weird, <laughs> Um man. But it but, works... yeah we I have six more episodes um coming up um and they're with um let's see this Steve is next he's a percussionist in the RT concert orchestra then Anita she's a violinist freelancer also plays with Irish Baroque Orchestra um we have Dan Bates an amazing oboist he lives in London he's our principal oboe in Irish Chamber Orchestra um uh emma roach she lives in glasgow elaine clark she's the leader like what's actually cool about the podcast what i love about it is that i have people from the uk and ireland living mm. in both countries whatever so there's a lot about like um emigrant and immigrant experiences um being away from family that kind of thing people had babies during lockdown um uh people couldn't see travel to their country for many Mm. many many months um I kind of spoke to people from every section of the orchestra that's great people people that had jobs as well as people that were freelancers and you know front to back as well so like the leader of ICO talked to me and one of the leaders of the National Symphony Orchestra talked to me and they were equally open and um brave in what they shared as you know you know everyone kind of took risks actually mm-hmm. and then there's a huge age range as well and huge i mean what's interesting was how different everyone's experience was as well as being the same you know and um yeah. and it's not just really about a pandemic experience it's about people's lives and what they discovered about who they were and then and yeah and how they want to live because i think it was um a time of reevaluation for everyone yeah so, It'd be
1: interesting to follow up with them and see
2: I know. whether they're still
1: living like that.
2: Yeah, and if they've honoured their experiences, and it's been nice actually to be back working again because I'm talking a lot to people that I had those conversations with, and they're they're sharing the those thing. kind of yeah, they're sharing those pieces. And for them, like th- when their episode is released, it sometimes reconnects them with. Mm. Like where they were, and they were kind of saying, Never again, this or I want to make sure to do that. And it's kind of reminding them, Oh, wait a minute, you're getting pulled back into this freelance life or whatever. And you know, mm-hmm. so they ha- it's it's an anchor for them as well, which is really nice. Yeah.
1: Oh, it's so just, amazing that you've done it. Yeah.
0: Thank
2: Honestly.
1: You.
0: And it's, it's been really been... great to talk more about it and learn more about you. Um your journey, which has been, if, I don't know if bittersweet really sums it up.
2: <laughs> it definitely it does. does. <laughs> it definitely does. And I actually I've, I've felt kind of it's been nice to um, it's been lovely. Well, and it feels like a leveler, actually, to talk to you guys, because of course, you know, there was so much sharing that the people that I spoke to did and I didn't really do that you know yeah yeah and I felt bad about that in in some senses um because yeah
1: it's tricky providing a space for someone and also make you want to be like yeah me too like I want to share mine as well but you're providing them with the space and then like you said it's not about you but yeah so you realize so much about yourself through these conversations that you almost want to have like a follow up solo episode after every single one. <laughs> <I know. laughs>
2: but as well, it's just that bit of like you know, they're kind of standing there like naked, and you're in all your clothes, and it doesn't feel fair. So this feels like you know, like I've corrected. I've been you know, you've given me an opportunity actually to kind of correct that a bit, you know, because I well, you know so
0: grateful. I can't mm. tell you, like. You, your story definitely needs to be heard because it's it's going to help so so many people. Like I can't tell you, like I've been, I feel like I've gone through every emotion listening to. to well, you. I would really,
2: I would really encourage. Yeah, I think, I think, I think also like giving sometimes, you know, allowing people to, giving people the benefit of the doubt as well. Like that's proven to be. Like people rise up. I don't know, like when I've asked Mm. for help, you know, not knowing what would happen with that, you know, it's just, or like providing a space for people to talk and not knowing what would happen with that. People would just constantly amaze you really um, if you allow them to. And you're right, Hattie, not to say that like you can't um, receive like knockbacks or, you know, end up like disappointed or hurt by how, you share something and how that might be received and that is difficult um but i think being true to yourself it, it's it's all we can do really isn't it just to be honest and true to ourselves and honor that and allow people to help yeah that act of generosity yeah you so right
0: thank you so much
1: thank you guys thank you <laughs>